So if you have your Bibles this morning, please open them up to John, John chapter 5. If you've not been with us on Sunday mornings, we have been walking through the Gospel of John. And I believe that God had led or has led me to this Gospel because there's no book in the Bible that probably better helps us to understand who Jesus is than the Gospel of John. If you take the other three Gospels, they spend a whole lot of time talking about what Jesus Christ did while he was here on earth. But if you've ever read the four Gospels, when you come to the Gospel of John, you realize there is something very different about this book. It doesn't focus near as much on what Jesus Christ did as it focuses on who Jesus Christ is. And I think in the world that we live in today, we need to be very clear about who Jesus Christ is and who Jesus Christ is not. Because oftentimes when I hear people speaking about Jesus Christ for their own particular motives, they lift up the name of Jesus Christ. I realize sometimes their assessment of who Jesus Christ is doesn't really match up with God's Word. So we must always allow God's Word to guide us and direct us in what it is that we believe about anything in life, especially when it comes to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But as I shared with you just a moment ago, we have been walking through the Gospel of John verse by verse. I had a lady one time ask me when I was pastor at First Baptist Church, Buna, why do you preach through books of the Bible verse by verse? And I will share with you this this morning. There are several reasons I do that. One reason is this. I believe that God intended for us to read His Word in that manner. Line by line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And so we have a real opportunity when we walk through an entire book together as God's church to really see the book in its entirety and to understand more fully exactly what it is that the writer under the inspiration of God is wanting to communicate to us. But there's also another reason. The second reason is because of what my father says. My father said to me one time, Jeff, when you preach through a whole book of the Bible at some point, it's going to reach into the hearts and the lives of every single person that sits in the pew of the church house. I believe that. It's going to meet all of our needs in life. I don't know everything that is going on in your life, just as though you don't know everything that is going on in my life, but there is a God that is all-knowing, and He knows what's going on in your life, and more than anything else, He wants to speak through His Word into your heart, into your life. He wants to give you truth today. That's the reason Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth, all truth, comes by way of Jesus Christ. And so we need to understand that this morning. So God wants us to understand truth, but not only does He just want us to understand truth, He wants us to take the truth of God's Word and apply it to our lives. I love what James wrote in his epistle. He said, we are not simply to be hearers of the Word of God, we are to be doers of the Word of God. We are to be doers of the Word of God. Now, if you've been in my Sunday school class on, in, on Sunday mornings, you've heard me make this statement. One of the greatest struggles for Americans is this. Now, please, don't anybody jump on me. Just wait until I make all of the statement. He said, a guy one time said, the problem with Americans is this, we are fat. 
Not physically fat. That's not what he's saying. Spiritually fat. We love to pull ourselves up to the Word of God. We love to go different places and cherish the Word of God and have the Word of God taught to us. And all of that is important. I don't want to diminish the Word of God. But oftentimes we do that at the expense of putting God's Word into practice in our lives. True spiritual growth happens in our life, not when we are just hearers of the Word of God, but when we are doers of the Word of God. So I want us to be an exercising church, all right? I want us to be spiritually fit. I want us to leave when we leave here on Sunday mornings. I want us to take what we've learned and put it into practice out into a real and dying world so that they have an opportunity to really see who Jesus Christ is through us as we live our lives here in this community and around the world. So I want us to be hearers of the Word of God and I want us to be doers of the Word of God. If you found your place there in chapter 5 of the Gospel of John, we have been in this chapter for several weeks. I shared with you last Sunday morning a major shift takes place in the ministry of Jesus Christ right here in this chapter. To this point, before chapter 5, to this point, Jesus Christ has ministered uninhibited. He's faced very little criticism from anyone at all. He's performed miracles. People have been astonished. Crowds have followed Jesus Christ. But in this chapter, all of that is going to change this morning. It all changes in this one chapter. Because Jesus Christ, in the opening story of chapter 5, heals a man at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was the most religious day in the religion of Judaism. And when Jesus Christ healed that man at the pool of Bethesda, and he told him to get up, take up his bed, and walk, the religious leaders accused Jesus Christ of breaking the Sabbath. It was against their law for anyone to bear their burden on the Sabbath. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ commanded this man to do. And as a result of that, the religious leaders began to persecute him. Now last week in verses 17 through 23 we looked at Jesus or part of Jesus' response to the religious leaders. In that passage, Jesus Christ makes three daring claims. He really answers the question for us is if He is truly God. He claims in His own words to be God in the human flesh. First, He says that He is equal to God in His nature. Jesus Christ said to his followers, he uses the phrase, my father. No Jew in their right mind would have ever used that phrase. To use that phrase was to claim equality with God. When Jesus Christ makes that statement, we need to put ourselves in their place. You've got to hear this from the first century reader's understanding. When Jesus Christ makes this claim, here is a man standing in front of you who is human flesh and he has just made the claim, I am God. Just think about that for a moment. Just think about what that would have sounded like to his first century hearers. Can you imagine? They knew Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. This Jesus Christ, 
Well, his woman, I mean, his mother was, I'm sorry about that. I've used that. We've used that before, one time before. I got in trouble the last time when I said Jesus Christ called his mother woman. I said it was a term of endearment. But his mother had a son, and the father was not even, I mean, and the, the, the husband was not even the father of the child. So can you imagine when Jesus Christ makes this claim? What must have been going through their, not, their minds? The second claim that Jesus Christ makes in this passage of Scripture, he claims to be equal with God in his work. Jesus Christ says that he just simply does what he sees the Father doing. If he was sinning by healing the man on the Sabbath, then God must be sinning as well because Jesus Christ just joined the Father in what he was doing. The third claim he makes, he claims to be equal to God in his worship. He says, honor the Father, honor the Son, honor the Son, honor the Father. Don't honor the Father, don't honor the Son, don't honor the Son, don't honor the Father. From that claim, we learn a very important truth. It's impossible to say that you worship the one true living God and not worship Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one true living God in the human flesh. That is the claim that Jesus Christ was making in this passage of Scripture. Well, this morning we're going to pick up in verse 24. And we're going to read verses 24 through verse 40. I mean, I'm sorry, verse 30. And what I want you to listen for this morning, as I read this passage of Scripture, I want you to listen and see if you can discern what the theme of this passage is. If you listen closely to the words of Jesus Christ, I think it will be very easy for you to begin to discern exactly what it is, the point that Jesus Christ is making in this passage of Scripture. So let's begin reading right here in verse 24. Jesus Christ says, Truly, truly, I say to the... I'm sorry, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. Now listen, verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son and those who hear will live. Now I want you to notice something. At the beginning of each one of these first two verses, Jesus Christ repeats the same statement. Did you see that? He makes the statement, truly, truly. That can be translated as well, amen, amen. In common day vernacular, this is what Jesus Christ is saying. He's saying, pay attention. What I'm about to say is of great importance for you. That's what Jesus Christ is saying to his crowd on this day. He wants them to open their ears and their minds to hear what it is that he has to say to them. Now listen to what he says here in verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection 
of judgment. Now I want us to pause right here because I want to make sure that we clarify what it is that Jesus Christ is talking about. It'd be very easy for us to hear the words of Jesus Christ and get way off track and to begin to surmise that Jesus Christ is saying a person is saved by the good things that they do. But that is not what Jesus Christ is saying here in this passage of Scripture. What he is saying in this passage of Scripture is this, those who have been genuinely saved will give evidence of their salvation through their good works. We are not saved by good works, but our good works simply show that we have genuinely been saved. Now, isn't that what we find throughout Scripture? Isn't that consistent with God's Word? We are told that those who truly belong to Jesus Christ produce good fruit in their life. If you want to know the evidence, if a person is genuinely saved, take a step back. Look at their life. Look at how they live. Look at the choices they make. Look at the fruit that they bear in life, and that will be an indicator of whether or not they truly know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We're not saved by good works. We are saved unto good works. Our good works simply characterize the fact that we genuinely belong to Jesus Christ. Over and over again, as Jesus Christ is teaching in the Gospels, He makes statements like this, you know, a fig tree can't bear this kind of fruit. You know, every tree bears fruit after its own nature. When we lived in Zambia, we had fruit trees that grew in our backyard. We had a lemon tree, and we had an orange tree. We had a mango tree, and we had a grapefruit tree. And I can promise you this, there was never a time in my life where I went outside to pick a grapefruit off the grapefruit tree that I got an orange. Do you see what I'm saying? And there was never a time I reached up to grab a lemon off of the lemon tree that I got a mango. Trees produce after their own nature. Now hear me carefully. This is important. All right? Those who genuinely have Christ in their life, His nature lives in them. They will produce after His nature. That is scriptural. If you want to know if you're genuinely born again, look at your life. Look at your life. The only thing you need to do is ask yourself the question, what fruit am I bearing in my life? And that will be a good indicator of whether or not you are born again. What is the fruit? Fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, right? I'm not going to try to quote them all. I'm sure I'd mess them up this morning. But if you believe, they're there. Just trust me, they're there. Go there. When you're doing your Bible study, just go there and read. You'll find them there in that passage of Scripture, all right? All right, let's go back and let's finish up reading this passage of Scripture. Do not marvel at this. This is verse 28. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice, that is the voice of Jesus Christ, and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. 
Now, my question is this. When I was reading that passage of Scripture, were you able to discern what the theme of those verses were? If you notice something real quick like there was two words that were repeated over and over again as I read. One of those words was the word life. It appeared five times in those verses. The second word was the word judgment, and the word judgment appeared four different times in those verses. So this is a very important topic for us today. Life and judgment, and Jesus Christ follows up these claims about being God in the human flesh by then going on and beginning to teach them about life and judgment. Can there really be anything more important in our life here on earth than experiencing life and eventually one day understanding we will all stand before God and give an account of our life unto the Lord? Isn't that what Scripture teaches us? Surely it does. And Jesus Christ has very clearly said in this passage of Scripture, if you want to experience life, life is found in Him and Him alone. Isn't that true? So this morning what I want us to do, I just want to make two statements about these two different words that Jesus Christ speaks in this passage of Scripture. So if you're taking notes this morning, you'll want to jot these down. First, Jesus Christ is going to say, no one has life unless they trust in Him. No one has life unless they trust in Him. Go back and look at verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. Now get this last part. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Let me ask you a question. Are you surprised by the words of Jesus Christ in this verse? I would say we shouldn't be surprised by what Jesus Christ says here. And the reason we shouldn't be surprised is because John opens this gospel account by telling us Jesus is life. He says in the opening chapter, in him, Christ Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. On two different occasions, Jesus Christ goes on to affirm the words of John with his own statement about being life. The first one in the passage of scripture about the good shepherd where Jesus Christ says that I have come that you may have life and have life to the fullest. He goes on in John the 14th chapter where he has just told his apostles that he's going to die on the cross. They're concerned and they want to know how to get to where he is going and he looks at Thomas after he asks him that question and he says to Thomas, Thomas if you've seen me you've seen the Father and then he goes on and he makes this statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is easy to walk away with the conclusion this morning that true life is found in Jesus Christ. Would you agree with me on that? True life is found in Jesus Christ. John makes that statement. Jesus makes that statement. But can I also tell you something else about this passage of Scripture? It seems a little bit confusing to me. It seems quite confusing to me. First, Jesus says, those who believe His words have eternal life. And He goes on to say, those who have believed in Him have passed from death to life. 
Later in verse 26, he says, the father has life in himself and has granted the son to have life in him. If you are like me, when I read this passage of Scripture, I can honestly say today, I'm often left just scratching my head wondering what in the world is Jesus Christ talking about? Over and over again, Jesus Christ uses this word, life. And surely the key to understanding this passage of Scripture is found in that word, life. The problem is we are at a disadvantage here with the English language. In the English language, we only have one word for life. And if we want to differentiate between the kind of life we are speaking, we put a descriptive word before it. Isn't that what we do? For instance, we say spiritual life to refer to life, spiritual life, eternal life, everlasting life. If we're talking about physical life, we attach the word physical life to it. But that's not true in the Greek language. In the Greek language, they have different words for different kinds of life. For instance, physical life is the word bio. It's where we get our word biology. Spiritual life means a lot to me, not only just because I possess it, but my daughter bears its name. It is the name Zoe. Zoe is spiritual life. Now what's unique about this passage of Scripture? Every single time Jesus uses the word life, it is always Zoe, life. Spiritual life. Isn't this consistent in what we see in other places in the Bible? It's consistent when we think in terms of spiritual life as being Zoe life. If you'll turn quickly over to Ephesians, the second chapter, I want you to see this in Scripture. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. He is explaining to them about the relationship with the Lord. He opens chapter 2 with these words. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That word alive there is the word zoe. What, what Paul is wanting us to understand at one time before we came to know Jesus Christ, this was a description of our life. We were all dead in our trespasses and sin. Does that mean that we were not physically alive? No, we could still walk, talk, move, we could run, jump, whatever it is that we can do today. We were all physically alive, but we were spiritually dead. But at the moment in time we trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we passed from death to life. We were given spirit 
spiritual life is what Jesus Christ is saying. Do you see what I'm saying? We were given spiritual life. Spiritual life. When you go back to John, the fifth chapter, that's exactly what Jesus Christ is speaking about in this passage of Scripture. In essence, Jesus Christ is saying to these listeners, all spiritual life is found in me. Now, I know that doesn't make all of our world happy. There are other people that would want you to believe that there is spiritual life found in other religions. But I'm here to tell you today, there is only one who possesses spiritual life. Only he and he alone can grant spiritual life unto those who trust in him. Only he alone can move us from death to life spiritually. Only Jesus Christ can do that. Now, let me just say a couple of things about this Zoe life. First, let me say this. Spiritual life, Zoe life, isn't necessarily, not necessarily about a quantity of life as much as it is a quality of life. Oftentimes we read passages like this and we read words like eternal life or if you have the King James Version, it says life everlasting and we begin to think in terms of, oh, glorious day, I'm going to die one day and I'm going to live forever and there is a lot of truth in that. But can I tell you this morning that Zoe life has a lot more to do with the quality of life than the quantity of life. It is life to the riches, it is beautiful life, it is life to the fullest and he wants us to experience it right here and right now as followers of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want us to have to wait one day until we die to experience eternal life. What Jesus Christ is saying is eternal life is here for you today. It's for your taking. The only thing you have to do is trust in me. Do you see that? You can experience life to the fullest. You see, I am convinced that many people in our world, even believers, have bought into the lie of Satan that somehow or another the things of the world will give me satisfaction. It will offer me life. It will give me a full life only to come to the end of life and realize what a waste my life has been. You can't really put life in any more, any more times in a sentence than you can like that, huh? But do you see that? Jesus Christ is like, listen, I want to give you life to the fullest. Here it is. Second, this is what I would say about this life, Zoe life. Zoe life happens at a specific point in time in your life. That is the indication of this passage of Scripture. So let me say this. You don't sneak up on eternal life. You don't. 
Trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior happens at a specific point in time in your life. Listen to the indication of Jesus Christ's word. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but now get this right here, but has passed from death to life, a specific point in time in your life when you pass from death to life. Isn't that true physically? Sure it is. It's true spiritually as well. Salvation happens in a person's life at a specific time. Y'all probably keep seeing me looking up and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, how am I going to squeeze everything else I have in to say in the next two minutes? It's not going to happen. There's still two and a half pages of notes left. It just ain't going to make it. Let me say this. We have a theological word that helps us understand this truth. It is the word justified. I don't know if you've ever read Romans, the third chapter, but it says in that passage of Scripture, we are justified by, th- by faith. The Protestant Reformation was started by Martin Luther based on that verse of Scripture. He came to realize that everything that the church of his day was teaching contradicted the Word of God. You weren't saved by good works. You were saved by faith unto good works. Now, from that word justified, we get this super important word that we sometimes, it's a big long word, you may have heard it before, it's the word justification. The word justification means the act, the one-time act where God declares the believing sinner righteous in Christ based on their faith in Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross. That word indicates salvation happens at a specific point in our lives. Let me just say several things about that word justification. First, justification is an act, not a process. There are not differing degrees of justification. Each believer has the same right standing before God. That's the truth of Scripture. Second, justification is something God does, not man. No man can justify himself before God. Third, justification doesn't mean God makes us righteous, but God declares us righteous. Justification is a legal term. God puts the righteousness of Christ on our record in place of my sinfulness, and nobody can change that record. It is done by God. So that when I stand before God, God doesn't see all of the wrong things, all of the filthy things I have done in my life. He sees the righteousness of Christ in me, and He accepts me based on who Christ is and not on who I am. Amen. Praise the Lord for that, right? Aren't you excited about that today? I am. Because I can tell you right now, if He was accepting me based on who I was, I deserve a sinner's hell. But I'm not accepted based on that. God has taken the righteousness of Christ and He has imputed it into my life. When He views me, He doesn't see Jeff. He sees the righteousness of Christ in me. Now listen to me carefully as we bring it all together. We're closing, all right? If you're here this morning and you are a believer, 
You have trusted Jesus Christ. You've experienced the life. You have passed from death to life, as it says here in Scripture. It is because at some point in time in the past, you were justified by God. At that moment in time in your life, you died to the penalty of sin in your life. Daily today, we are walking in the process of sanctification. We are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit of God. Daily, we are dying to the power of sin in our life. And hallelujah, one day in the future, we are going to be glorified and we will die forevermore from the presence of sin in our life. We have been justified. We are being sanctified. And one day we will be glorified. Let me say something this morning. Every believer needs to understand that today. This is a missing element that is not being taught in our churches. People don't understand justification, sanctification, and glorification. They don't understand salvation in their hearts and their lives. Oh my goodness, I'm going to start preaching in a minute, huh? Yeah. We need to make sure that we don't confuse justification with sanctification. Sanctification is the process where God makes the believer more and more like Christ in our attitude and in our actions. We're obviously not going to make it to the next point. That's okay. But this is what I would ask you this morning. I think it's a very important question that we all need to ask ourselves. Can you point to a specific time in your life where you received and believed on Jesus Christ for salvation? Listen to me. I'm not asking you if your name is on a church roll. I'm not asking if you've been dunked in some water. I'm not asking if you go to Sunday school here or you attend worship here. I'm asking, do you know Jesus Christ in a personal way? Only Jesus Christ can grant unto man eternal life. Only can he move us from spiritual death to spiritual life. Only he can do that. Only he can do that. Every person needs to know that they possess spiritual life. Not because you prayed a prayer sometime years ago, but because you have given Jesus Christ your heart and your life. Jesus said he is the possessor of Zoe life. And the question we must ask ourselves today is this. Do I possess that kind of life? Father God, we thank you for your word and the way you speak to our hearts. Father, your word is so good. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Father, my prayer is this morning that there are people here who don't know you as their Lord and Savior. I pray today, Lord Jesus, they would come into a personal relationship with you. John starts this great book by saying to all those who received him, that's Jesus Christ, and who believed on his name, he gave the rights to become children of God. Receive and believe. Father, you have your way during our time of invitation this morning to your honor and to your glory. Let your name be lifted up, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.